So, John, if you could be anybody in the world's head, could be anybody, could be an actor, could not be an actor, who would you pick? Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, why yeah. so? If we're adhering to the laws of this film, uh-huh. being Chris Pratt for 15 minutes a day, sounds about right. <laughs> 15 <laughs> minutes a day, every day, sorted. I'm happy. <laughs> Lovely. Welcome to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to the one-off films that don't have any. I'm Harry, and joining me as always is John. Hello. And finally, we're actually recording an episode in 2018. It's our first one. I know, I've missed this. Last, good to be last week's was actually in 2017. Yeah, it was like mid-December. It's been, yeah. been a while. Yeah. Uh, so how have you been? How was your Christmas? How was your New Year? Uh, very chilled. Just spent it with my family and... Uh... Well, I spent Christmas with my family and I spent New Year's with some friends and mm-hmm. uh, just, yeah, I, I feel like it was less exciting than yours or yeah. like less full on than yours from what I've heard. Right? Yeah, I mean, I had the same family and then friends, but just, mm. it sounds like with a lot more alcohol and resulting illness. Yeah. Too much hot tubs and partying, I think. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in a hot tub and I should not have spent that much time in a hot tub. I'm still recovering now. <laughs> um, you do look semi-boiled. <laughs> well, actually, I've been cold solidly since I got out. I've never had the same heat since really? I've been in that hot tub. Nothing's ever been as good. Yeah, but your body reached a certain like base temperature, and now it just expects that all the time. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend a hot tub, ever. No, they're Because it's great, but there's nothing better than it. No. Well, also, they're petri dishes of infection, so... Well, that too, but maybe it's worth it? I don't know. Yeah. I miss the hot tub. <laughs> we'll do a future episode where we record live from a hot tub. Maybe for our <laughs> birthday, we'll do a hot tub, spe- hot, hot tub special. It'll mean nothing to the guests, but it'll be great for you and me. <laughs> anyway, so yes, this week we are watching Being John Malkovich. Yeah, so John, why did you choose Being John Malkovich? Because I wanted to keep our 2018 going strong. We started with Wally, which is a classic, and this is another film that's kind of a classic. And it's also a film that has been on my to-watch list for about 15 years, because... I, don't, I just never got around to it. I heard good things. I expected to like it. For, it's by Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones, who between them have done have done Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Charlie Kaufman wrote Friends, didn't he? Did he? Did he? No, that's Marty Kaufman. Oh. Unrelated. I'm pretty sure they're unrelated. God damn. Yeah. I recognised the surname. I was like, yeah, yeah. Friends. No, uh, Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones between them have been responsible for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and her and something else as well that I really like. So I, I really expected to like this. Mm-hmm. And I just never, I just never got around to it. So I thought, now's the time. And yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved this film. I was really pleased with it. Yeah, me too. I'm really glad you you picked it. Good. Um, I was just watching this, just sort of imagining your reaction to everything. Just like, <laughs> oh my god, this is great wig. And- <laughs> oh, we are going to talk for a long time about the wigs in this film. <laughs> it was just so crazy. Like to me half an hour to sort of get into it and just for it's a clock that okay this film is utter madness yeah and there is no sense to this film whatsoever it, it felt a little bit like uh big fish okay yeah yeah which is also on my shortlist okay cool yeah yeah where it shows that everything is completely crazy mm. and somehow it all works it actually reminded me more than anything of alice in wonderland you really me, had that vibe. Reminded me of Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl, yeah, similar, similar, mm. but it had that kind of fairy tale vibe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, literally, there's literally a rabbit hole. You know, well, it's not a rabbit, but you know, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely had that vibe of Alice in Wonderland, where it's kind of nonsense, but all of the characters make sense in their own heads. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the, for, for them, everything they're doing is perfectly normal. But all of the characters are insane. Mm-hmm. And so it, it had that sense that, you know, what I really loved about this film more than anything else was that it had this insane kind of high concept kind of plot. But it totally skipped over all of the bits where normally a film would slow right down mm-hmm. and feel the need to explain everything to the audience and to have yeah. like a scientific reason for what's happening. And also for the characters to catch up with where we're at. Mm-hmm. Like at no point were any of the characters particularly confused or surprised by what was going on. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, there's a portal in this building that takes you to the brain of character actor John Malkovich for 15 minutes, then it drops you by a, by a motorway. Sure, sounds great. Yeah. How can you monetize this? Like, <laughs> there's none of that, like, oh my God, what does this mean? Well, there's very slight, but there's really not a lot of, oh God, what does this mean? How does it work? Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of exposition involved. Each action just follows another action and it has its own internal logic and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel the need to kind of align with the, the real world. Mm-hmm. None of the characters are real people. But because they're all kind of just accepting what's happening and following it through to its natural conclusion, it does. It, re- it really, really reminded me of Alice in Wonderland in that sense that characters like the Red Queen and the Mad Hatter and the Rabbit, they all have their own identities and their own kind of priorities that certainly make sense to them, mm-hmm. but it's just mad to the, the outside world. And Alice is just walking around experiencing it and just being like, oh, okay, this person wants everything to be red and that's her thing. This person's throwing a tea party and that's his thing. You know, does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How that, this film is exactly that way. It's like every character is just, oh, okay... Mm-hmm. Don't need to know more than that. Mm-hmm. I can think of so many directors to, who would make this film today who would make it like a three-hour nonsensical mess. Like Christopher Nolan or something. Possibly, yeah. Well, I mean, I like Christopher Nolan. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't think many directors today other than Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jonze. Like, in Eternal Sunshine, they didn't really get into how the technology works. They were mm-hmm. just like, hey, there's a technology now where you can erase your memories of someone and pay for it. Great, cool. Yeah. How does it work? Who cares? Just go with it. It's a fun mm. story. And this film was that. It was just a fun story that kept to its own internal logic. So yeah, I absolutely love that about it. It meant that it didn't drag. There were no bits where I was like, oh, come on, get on with it. It was just a joy. It was just really good fun. Yeah. Cool. Bye. Hey, I'm splitting for the day, puppet man. Lock up for me, okay? Don't you want to know what happened to me? No. Please, please. This is important. Better be. It is. There's a tiny door in my office, Maxine. It's a portal, and it takes you inside John Malkovich. You see the world through John Malkovich's eyes, and then after about 15 minutes, you're spit out into a ditch on the side of the New Jersey Turnpike. Sounds great. Who the fuck is John Malkovich? You said it took you half an hour to get into it, so at first we were unsure, was it? Well, at first I was just waiting, like, so when's, when's John Malkovich going to come into this? Mm. And then he came in, and you see, like, him in a mirror. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is, is that is that all it's going to be for the whole film? Just, like, little glimpses of him <laughs> we see stuff through him. But then, no, like, the whole second half of the film, he is the main character. Mm-hmm. And it, it just made me sort of think a bit more, just like, what what was that phone call that he had from his agent? All right, I've, I've got a film for you, John. But you play yourself. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and like, how did how did he agree to this and everything? It took him some time. Okay, so to back to backtrack a little bit, just as a very quick plot synopsis. So the plot of this film is basically that John Cusack plays a puppeteer mm-hmm. who is unemployed, mm-hmm. but he, he is a by job he is a puppeteer. He likes to make puppets. So we open with this scene of him playing with a bunch of puppets. Mm-hmm. The puppet himself, did you think, really looks like Tim Minchin? Yes! Thank you! <laughs> the opening scene, you just see this puppet, it's like, Tim Minchin? Yeah. <laughs> Is this Matilda? Um, but anyway, uh, so he's, he's a puppeteer, a frustrated puppeteer, married to Cameron Diaz. Who I did not recognise for the first 20 minutes. No, 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 no. Yeah, both wearing hideous wigs. Yeah. Hilariously hideous wigs. 
So he's married to her. He's unemployed. This was great because it made her look like a crazy cat lady, which she wasn't a million miles away from. No, she, exactly. Yeah, she. So he's a puppeteer. She collects a bunch of animals. There's like a chimp in the house. There's a mm-hmm. parrot. There's all kinds of animals running around. Mm-hmm. It's very whimsical and Spike Jonesy. Mm-hmm. And then anyway, he gets this job in a bizarre company, which is on the seven and a half, seven and a half. How do you pronounce that? The seventh floor and a half of a, of a building. Yeah. Where every, all floor of, seven and a half. Floor seven and a half, thank you. Floor seven and a half of a building, doing some filing work with a bunch of oddballs. In the process, finds a portal in his office. Can I just stop you yeah. right there and question, how famous was Octavia Spencer at this point? Oh, yeah, not, not at all. Not okay. at all. Total, total extra work. But yeah, I squealed. Yeah, but no, because there are a lot of like actual celebrity cameos in this film. Yeah, but hers yeah, was no, not course. like, but hers was not a celebrity cameo. That I think that was literally one of the first things she ever did. But yeah, I was very excited when I saw her, and I was very disappointed when she did not show up again. Yeah, yeah. So Octavia Spencer plays a woman in a lift. I think her, she's credited as woman in lift. Yeah, who can just ex- takes him to the seventh. Seven and a half. Seven, to floor seven and a half. Who takes him to floor seven and a half. There this we is go. harder than saying cockroach lifespan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in which he gets a job as a filing clerk with a bunch of very strange people. Ends up discovering that in his office is a portal. When he climbs through it, takes him into the mind of the actor John Malkovich for 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, it drops him off on the side of the road in the same city. Mm-hmm. Also working at the office is Catherine Keener, mm-hmm. who plays a character called Vaccine. And he and her go into business where they basically rent out John Malkovich's brain to tourists, basically, mm-hmm. and monetize it. And all, then it all goes a bit crazy where Cameron Diaz goes into John Malkovich's brain and really likes it and starts questioning her gender identity. Mm-hmm. She falls in love with Maxine, the Catherine mm-hmm. Keener character. They fall in love with each other, but only when the Cameron Diaz is in John Malkovich's body. Mm-hmm. And madness ensues. So that's the basic, that's a very quick summary of the plot. Uh, where was, where did we, where were we going with that? <laughs> <laughs> you had a question and uh, I can't remember now. So the way it ends, because... The explanation is that the old man who's running the place... Oh, yeah. There's an old man who runs the company called Lester, who is in his early hundreds, mm-hmm. who turns out he knows about the portal, and it's his way of living forever to constantly jump from body to body. Yeah, so it's him and a load of other people yes. that are doing this. And the film concludes by all those people who are just part of this elite club, mm-hmm. all those people jumping into John Malkovich's mind... Just yeah. before he turns 44, was it? Yes. The thing is, if you turn, um, if you jump into them just before they turn 44, that's when the portal, the host body, ripens, apparently. Mm-hmm. And if you miss the 44th birthday window, then the jump will fail and you'll be trapped in the mind of the... Of John Malkovich? No, well, you'll be trapped uh, in the mind of a new a newborn baby. No, with that one, it was you'd be trapped in the mind of, of John Malkovich without any control. Whereas if they do it too early, then they're trapped in the mind of a newborn baby without any control. No, 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 you're wrong. Am I? Yes. Yeah. If you jump in but just before their 44th birthday, then you, you stay forever, but you are in control. Mm. So hence, the group of old people jump in, then they are John Malkovich. So, because they said they've been doing this for, like, generations. Yes. This wasn't their first time doing it. Well, it wasn't his first time doing it. Sure. So, they all jump into John Malkovich. Yes. At the end, this does actually happen. And then they all become one person? Yeah, well, I wasn't I wasn't clear on that. Yeah. I'm assuming that is the case. That so they all become so, like so, a single unity. Yeah, it's like a, a single personality, a single soul, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. who is in control of John Malkovich's body. Yeah. And they've been doing this for generations. So does that mean that the old man, for example, Lester, he already is like 60 different people? I don't know. I, that's unclear. I think that's supposed to be kind of... This would be a great way to lead into the story of Split. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you've done that's, that's great that's that my sequel that's my sequel damn you yes <laughs> oh 
good. Is that yours too? No. Oh, so we haven't had the same idea, which has been our constant fear, but you have anticipated mine. We're in oh. 10 minutes of the episode. Huh? Oh, yeah. Well, 23. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> damn it. Um, I may cut that. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see how I feel. See how it plays. But uh, yeah, he, he, I guess he does. It's interesting because it doesn't really explain. Again, it's a thing it doesn't explain. You don't really know who Lester is apart from the old captain from that crazy video that explains the... Yeah. <laughs> The origins of the building in which he's like an old proper like old Captain Bird's I see captain and then a little girl dressed as an old woman comes in and is like, There is nowhere where I can stand up. <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah. Loved it. I love all those strange little touches though. Hello, Don. Hello, Wendy. Don, I was wondering, do you know why our workplace has such low ceilings? It's an interesting story, Wendy. Many years ago in the late eighteen hundreds, James Merton, an Irish ship captain came to this town and decided to erect an office building. He called this building the Merton Flimmer Building, after himself and someone else who local legend has it was named Flimmer. Well, one day, old Captain Merton received an unexpected visitor. Captain Merton? I would want you, girl child. I'm not a child, but rather an adult lady of miniature proportions. Oh, see. Well, if it's charity you're after, begun with you, you foul thing. I'm not asking for alms, Captain, but rather the ear of a kind man with a noble heart. Well, speak then if you must. Captain Merton, I'm afraid that the world was not built with me in mind. Doorknobs are too high, chairs are unwieldy, and high-ceiling rooms mock my stature. Why cannot there be a place for me to work in safe and comfortable? A story has moved me like the other. Therefore, I shall make ye <coughs> me wife. And, and I shall build a floor for ye between the, between the seventh and the eighth in my own building. So at least there'll be one place on God's green earth where ye and your accursed kind can live in peace. So that's the story of Seven and a Half. You asked me how they convinced John Malkovich to oh, yeah, play to this role. To play this role, yeah. So what happened was, he was actually the first person they thought of. They didn't think of anyone else. Oh, really? Yeah. They wanted it to be John Malkovich, and the reason was that they thought his name sounded really funny. Mm-hmm. When is, that, is that solely the reason? That was solely the reason, I think. And also because he's that kind of... He's perfect because a lot of this film kind of makes fun of John Malkovich, mm. and he allowed himself to make... He made fun of himself a lot. Like, there's a running joke where everyone's like, oh, John Malkovich, that really famous actor. What's he been in? Uh, and nobody can say anything. Nobody can, like... <laughs> like, could you name a John Malkovich film apart from this one? Uh, Conair. Conair, great, cool. Also, my shortlist. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there's not. I mean, he's one of those actors. He's one of those. Oh, he, oh, that guy kind of actors. Yeah. And I think it, it plays. It it does a really good job of like making fun of that a little bit and kind of making fun of him, which he very much embraces. Mm-hmm. Hey, say, so, uh, ain't you that actor guy? Yes. Yeah, John. Uh, what is uh, John? Ah, uh, 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 don't tell me. Uh, Maplethorpe. Malkovich. Malkovich. Right, right, okay. Okay, yeah, I thought you were all right in that one movie. Thank you. In one movie, you played a jewel thief? I never played a jewel thief. No? Who am I thinking of? I don't know. Yeah, so they pitched it to him, but he was really unsure about doing it. So basically, he said that he was worried that either the film would be a complete flop and it would be forever associated with him, or it would be a massive hit. Mm-hmm. And it will be forever associated with him. And either way, he would never be able to get away from that role because you know, he's playing himself. And it's you know. And the studios didn't want him either because they didn't think it would sell because John Malkovich isn't like an A-list. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. a very big star, but he's not like a box office, you know. But surely it's a difficult 
role to cast somebody for to actually get someone to agree to do it. Totally, yes. Because if it was like being Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm. Well, yeah, apparently the studio was like, why can't it be being Tom Cruise? Because mm. we can sell that. But they were like, no, 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 no. Tom Cruise, A, it's not a funny voice and it's not the kind of character. We don't want a, a major, you know, mm-hmm. we, we don't want an A-lister. So anyway, eventually they wore him down and they convinced him to do it. But it did take him a little bit of convincing. And it's, I think it turned out really well. I think most of the cast are really good in this film. Well, yeah. I think everyone's good to varying degrees. I think they're all great. But I think he should have been Oscar nominated. Do he they? wasn't, but he should have been for this. Mm. He was Actually, so funny and so Yeah, good. and partly because of the way that he portrayed different characters. Mm. I think that was phenomenal what he did. Like, as soon as he became John Cusack, completely different person. Yeah. He... And then that scene at the end where just suddenly, like, I'm free, just like he went back into John Malkovich somehow mm. and then lost it all again. Yeah. And he acted that really well. Yeah, that's what I mean. He was I don't know many so people funny. who could have done that because mm. there was also, there was a heavy element of comedy to it as well. Yeah. I think physically he did such good stuff. Like that scene where he does that whole ballet dance in the bedroom is so funny. <laughs> I don't know how much of that is going <laughs> to... I'm sure there might have been some kind of, you know, a body double oh, in that I'm book. sure there was. But the bits that were him were hysterical. Yeah. And the bits, again, just the bits of him playing off himself, like playing himself as a kind of very pretentious theatre kind of guy, you mm-hmm. know, where he's doing the King Lear or whatever he's doing on the stage. And mm-hmm. He's just, he's doing so much and he's brilliant. I, I really liked most people in this film, but I thought he was, in particular, was just gold. And, mm-hmm. and how cool to be nominated for an Oscar play, for playing yourself. Wait, did he? He wasn't, but it would be cool oh. if he had been. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I think disappointing. Catherine Keener was nominated for an Oscar. She was the only one. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Also great. I thought, I thought, well, yeah, she was great, but I don't think she would stand out. I don't think she should have been nominated for a Best Supporting Actress. I think her leg should have been. <laughs> <laughs> Do, she, do go on. She was doing so much leg work in this movie. Did you notice this? I didn't. <laughs> it was like every scene she was in, it was a lot of pencil skirts that come out just to just above the knee. Mm-hmm. And her legs were always just doing something a bit weird. I think because the building they're in has low ceilings. Yeah. So there was a, there was a lot of like, this is really hard to describe on an audio podcast. So I'm going to do some physical for Harry and some audio description that hopefully will translate. It was a lot of like legs akimbo like this. It was a lot of like... So he's, uh, he's man-spreading. I'm man-spreading, right yeah, but Catherine Keener was lady-spreading. Yeah. But even when she wasn't in that building, there was a lot of kind of one knee on top of the other one, and there was a lot of like leg, there was a lot of leg waggling. There was a lot of dramatic leg waggling that became very distracting <laughs> to me. <laughs> Great stuff. So whenever she's trying to seduce John Malkovich, he was all in the legs. Mm-hmm. It was all like, my one leg is over my other leg, and I'm flashing you a little bit of thigh, and look at my waxy legs. And... <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And there's a bit that I really noticed actually when he's, she's in bed having just slept with John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. I think it's after, it's it's just before it's the scene with the dance mm. and she's sat in the bed and she's kind of again she's kind of spread eagled like a praying mantis. <laughs> so she's got both her knees like a clear foot apart mm-hmm. and she's got like a bedspread in between covering her modesty but it's just it's really distracting. It's not something you see very often. It's probably quite a natural pose. I mean I've not spent a lot of time in bed with women but um, it's probably <laughs> a fairly natural pose for what a woman would be like if she was sat up in bed. But you don't see it in films. Where I think normally you just have the woman like sat completely under the bed, legs yeah. closed, you know. Very, but she was proper like she was really, she was spreading. It was it was just I found it really distracting, but also re- really funny and very true. <laughs> I, I, I sound like a crazy person, but I really enjoyed her leg work in this film. Was... <laughs> All right, okay, that's a solid five minutes of podcasting done. <laughs> uh... I can't believe you didn't notice. It was so good. <laughs> All right, let's get on to um, that segment you've got. Uh, drinking games? Nah. Um, wig watch? There we go. Wig watch, yeah. Well, this film definitely brings in the wig watch. I think this is a good way to really formalise wig watch in our podcast because mm-hmm. Wally had no wig watch because it was animated. But my God, what was your favourite wig? Oh, it was Cameron Diaz, definitely. Because I feel like she was lost in that wig. <laughs> she was lost in the wig. 
<laughs> that sounds like a movie in itself. Cameron Diaz <laughs> lost in the wing. <laughs> yeah, so Cameron Diaz in this film plays a very frumpy... Well, this is the thing. I, I have to say, honestly, like I think she was Cameron Diaz was good in this film. I don't know if she was the right for the role. I think so, other actors could have done it better. Um, yeah, maybe. It wasn't that I'm she was sure. bad. Like, I don't know. I, I find it difficult because all I can see is her in the role. Yeah. But if she wasn't massively stand out, so yeah, maybe somebody else could have done a better job, but I she didn't like, do a bad job. She no, was no, great. she was fine. I would give her a passing grade. Mm-hmm. Like, she was like a solid B+. Plus. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone else was like A. The only problem I had with Cameron Diaz is watching her, I was very much, oh, it's Cameron Diaz, because she's playing this character who's quite dowdy. So she's wearing this crazy wig where she's got incredibly like frizzy dark hair and looks not, nothing like what she actually looks like. And she wears a lot of kind of heavy clothing and stuff that hides her figure. And so it's very kind of like she's doing an anti-Cameron Diaz because Cameron Diaz is known for doing, you know, she was a model before she was an actress and she's mm-hmm. a beautiful woman. And I think she's a fine comic actress. Like, I think she's very funny and good at physical comedy. But the fact that she was a, pre- a very conventionally attractive woman dressing down, if you will, like that wasn't a plot point though. Like that, there was no point in the film where it acknowledged, oh, this woman's stunning, but she just is styled in a strange way. Mm-hmm. So that kind of became the whole thing. For me, because all the other characters were so insane and had so many interesting little details, like Catherine Keener's crazy random leg and mm-hmm. John Cusack was just so pathetic and funny and with his, <clears throat> his obsession with puppetry and John Malkovich was just chewing all the scenery, that comparatively she was just a little bit one note for me. Yeah. It's a minor complaint because I, do, I don't think she ruined the film. I, I, thought, I don't think she was bad. I think she was good. But I, I would have liked to have seen someone a little bit more interesting in that role. Who would you have cast? Like someone like, like not like a big film star. That's what I mean. Like someone like a Judy Greer or a like a character actress. Like somebody who isn't like known for being really sexy. Well, I would definitely only think about one person to cast for this role. Okay, go on. Winona Ryder. Mm. Who is in this film? Wait, what? For like half a second. Who's She's one of the celebrity cameos. Was she like in the queue or something? She she has no lines. There's a scene when. John Cusack is in the body of John Malkovich and he's mm-hmm. made John Malkovich change his career to become a puppeteer. Mm-hmm. And there's a clip of like John Malkovich giving these big puppetry shows and there's an audience clip and one of the audience members is Winona Ryder. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I agree. Winona would be great. Mm. Yeah, She would be really good because I think she could have added that level of crazy. Yeah. That and, cra- and, crazy and can you imagine game. her acting off a chimp? Yes, exactly. Oh my God. Perfect. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. You won't be around. That's a perfect choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, Cameron was fine, and I did enjoy the wigs. But no, for me, John Malcolm, no, John Cusack's wig. <laughs> There's so many Johns in this film. Like, it's very confusing. John Cusack's wig was insane. It was off the wall. Like, yeah, what was going on with that? It reminded me of, um, what's his name from Black Books? Bill Bailey? Dylan Moran. Dylan Moran, yeah. He, like, he just the whole character of him just reminded me of Dylan Moran in some way. Like, physically mm-hmm. identical. Yeah. Um, and just their characteristics were quite were quite similar. I just could only imagine him in that role instead of John Cusack. That's very true. It didn't occur to me, but that's very true. Yeah, it, he was like unlikable from the get go. Mm-hmm. Like there was no point where you, where you were rooting for him or anyone really. Like they're not all horrible characters. Like you kind of root for Cameron Diaz. She's probably the nicest of the group, and Maxine's kind of likable in a bitchy kind of way. Don't think rooting for John Malkovich. Oh yeah, t- yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. He had, he had a hard time in this film. True, actually. Yeah. If anyone, <laughs> if anyone, if anyone's the hero of this film, it is him. But John Cusack's character is pathetic from start to finish and he had mm-hmm. this like entitled whiny kind of quality mm-hmm. which is quite Dylan Moran it's right it's that kind of you know thinks the world owes him a favour mm-hmm. yeah oh Dylan Moran would be great yeah. mm. Dylan Moran married to an owner rider oh, I so want to see that version I mean this film was so good but I didn't think this film was improvable but that that is something I didn't I mean to go into this recasting everybody yeah but no that would be amazing mm. I'm on board 
Mm-hmm. I'm very much on board. So John Cusack's wig is like, it's sat just a couple of inches too far above his actual hairline. And it's kind of this 90s woman's wig. <laughs> it was a very strange design for him. But I loved it. It was so bizarre. Mm-hmm. And there was some of, there was some good like headpiece work from Charlie Sheen as well, who's in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, what happened to him at the end? <laughs> I love the fact that... Was he wearing a bowling ball on his head? He was wearing, yeah, a very funny, but very, like, over-the-top bald cap with, like, a comb-over kind of thing. Was it like a bald cap over an afro or something? It did, yeah, it made him look... Well, obviously his real hair was underneath, because you know, yeah. you know he wasn't shaving his head for that. You yeah, know? But, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it made me laugh that this, that film, that scene was set seven years in the future from 1999. If we yeah. assume the film was set roughly when it was released. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously, it's, not, it's now 18 years later, and Charlie Sheen looks... Pretty much exactly the same as he did before that mm-hmm. scene, like you know, the wonders of Hollywood. But, <laughs> but yeah, that that was great, and there was some great John Malkovich wig work as well with similarly. But uh, yeah, but yeah, the John Cusack wig was off the charts. I was so happy when I saw that. Yep. It like it started the film strong. It was like first you see the puppetry, and then you cut to John Malkovich in a crazy wig. I was like, I am already in. I'm already on board. <laughs> great stuff. Should we do some drinking games? Yes, let's. Okay. All right. Well, I've only got two. How many have you got? I've got a few. So we'll see. Oh, you, you go first, first then. Okay, uh, so a lot of things we've already covered, though. So drink whenever someone very quickly accepts a totally bizarre premise. Yeah, there is a there is a solid amount of that. There's like, like I said, oh, there's a bottle of John Malkovich's Minimal brain, exposition. So. Yeah. Sometimes there is some. Yeah, but like not... There was that video. Yeah, but not too much. No. Yeah, well, also they undercut it a lot because they had the video explaining the seven... Floor seven and a half. <laughs> they have a video explaining it, but then immediately Catherine Keener says, that's bullshit. Yeah. And you're like, great, cool. <laughs> yeah. Moving story, huh? Unfortunately, the story's bullshit. Okay, this is a difficult drinking game. Drink whenever someone says Malkovich. Ooh, that would get you nice and drunk. By the way, we've not spoken about the scene. The best scene in the film. Okay, so yeah. that's the scene. Would you just waterfall that scene? Yeah, def- you have to. Okay, so yeah, John Malkovich finds out about the portal into his own brain and goes to it and bypasses the queue and insists on going into his own brain. Mm-hmm. So he goes into his own brain and enters this kind of weird Ouroboros kind of thing where he basically everyone has the face of John Malkovich and can only say the word Malkovich. Yeah. So it's like Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Which just made his name so much more funny. Exactly. And I think that's why cause it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work with Tom Cruise. Cruise, no. Cruise, 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 Cruise. Wouldn't yeah. work. So yeah, it's I can see now why they chose him. <laughs> but And again, this is where John Malkovich, the actor, the real actor, deserves all the awards because he managed to make just saying his surname repeatedly in so many different cadences and styles and like real, as if they were real conversations. It was mm-hmm. so good. I don't know, some of it must have been CGI, and a, but a lot of it was costume work. Mm-hmm. But so you've got John Malkovich as a woman in a very low-cut dress mm-hmm. on a piano singing a jazz song that just goes, Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so good. <laughs> and, I la- <laughs> and I laughed so hard when he gets out of it. And it's it's, it's the kind of the underplaying it, it, he gets out of it and he's like that must never happen again (laughs) (laughs) oh it's brilliant yeah so for that scene if you were going to drink every time the word Malkovich was uttered you'd just have to well like you say that would just that would just be a waterfall it would be a waterfall just waterfall that scene Malkovich 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 Malkovich, 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 
Malkovich. Malkovich. All right, <laughs> top that. I don't think I can. Well, that's the definitely the best one. Drink whenever Catherine Keener is a stone cold bitch, but in the best way. Yeah, yeah, that's a solid. Yeah, she has a lot of really funny bitchy moments. <laughs> I really like early on when John Cusack. Basically, she's been working at this company for some time and we, we gather mm-hmm. John Cusack joins the company meets her instantly develops a massive crush on her falls in mm-hmm. love with her basically and then one of his early flirtation scenes he says to her can you believe I've been working here for like a week or whatever it says and I still don't know your name or what your job is and she goes yeah <laughs> and there's nothing else <laughs> yeah <laughs> so funny it's so funny and then there's also a bit later on where he she finally yeah and there's a bit later on where he finally gets her to agree to go for drinks with him by guessing her name which is also a really funny scene yeah <laughs> Do you know that I don't even know your name or where you work? Yeah. Um, okay, how about this? If I can guess your name in three tries, you have to come have a drink with me tonight. Why not? Okay. You look like a... Maxine? Yeah. Who told you? Nobody told me. That just came out. Was that improv? It felt like it could have been. I imagine it was in the script, but I feel like the actors were so good that it, a lot of it felt very improv. Mm. Yeah. So then they go for a few drinks together, and one of the first questions she asks is, "Oh, so what? Do you, what do you do?" And he says, "Oh, I'm a, I'm a puppeteer." And she just goes, "Check." End of date. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Because <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? Like, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and every time she is just a fabulous bitch. Drink. So tell me about yourself. Huh? I mean, if you can get your mind out of the gutter long enough, dog boy. <laughs> well, I'm a puppeteer. Check. Okay, my second drinking game is kind of a repeat of my first drinking game, mm-hmm. which was drink once when you say Malkovich. Drink twice whenever someone says John Malkovich. Oh, okay, so you get the full name. Yeah. Cool. Okay, slightly less, but it's still quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a professional drinking game. That's if you really want to end this film blind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, okay. I had one drink whenever nobody can remember what films John Malkovich has been in. Oh yeah, good. Very funny. Good. Or when they reference the... Jewel Heist? The Jewel Heist film that he actually hasn't been in. Yeah. <laughs> I like that little runner. Yeah. Who the fuck is John Malkovich? Oh, he's an actor. He's one of the great American actors of the 20th century. Oh yeah, what's he been in? Lots of things. Uh, that Jewel Thief movie, for example, he's very well respected. Anyway. Drink for references to Elijah the Chimp's health problems. Yes. Yeah. He was a character we haven't talked about yet. The chimp. The chimp. Yeah, what's going on there? Was that, was that a chimp that was rescued from poachers or mm-hmm. something? Or was that a chimp that was actually taken from the jungle, which she then bought from her pet store? 
Unclear. Unclear. But again, I didn't need to know the whole backstory, but I liked the glimpse of backstory we got. It was really funny. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so there's a scene in the I don't know what was funny about it, because it's actually quite tragic. It's tragic, but it but was it's, funny. It's funny because it's ridiculous. It's yeah. like ludicrous. So there's a scene in this film in which John Cusack locks Cameron Diaz in a cage. To which point I uttered the words, I think their marriage might be breaking down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's a scene where Cameron Diaz is locked in a cage with this chimp who she loves. It's like a kind of, I guess, adopted child. child. Yeah. yeah, basically. Who There's a lot of references in the film to his health problems, but they're all really silly health problems. It's like, oh, he's got post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. He's a monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's tied up and the chimp comes up and unties her. And while he's untying her, he has a flashback, which we see as part of the film, a flashback to his own kidnapping as a baby chimp with his chimp parents with subtitled chimp conversations. Like, rescue me. (laughs) It was so funny. Oh, I forgot about the subtitles. (laughs) It was like, run, save yourself. No. (laughs) It was so good. So, yeah. Drink for... I I, I mean, I've put down drink for the chimp's health problems, but really just drink for the chimp. Mm -hmm. Just cheers for the chimp. Drink for the chimp. Yeah. After dinner, I'll introduce you to my chimp, Elijah. He has an ulcer right now due to suppressed childhood trauma. But we're working through it. Psychotherapy. And finally, drink for celebrity cameos. Of which there were several. So many, yeah. I like Brad Pitt. He was just like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, Charlie Sheen is actually, is kind of a character in this film. He plays yeah. John Malkovich's best friend, but he's also playing Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. You've got Octavia Spencer in the lift. Mm-hmm. You have, as I mentioned, Winona Ryder, Blink and You'll Miss Her. Brad mm-hmm. Pitt, Blink and You'll Miss Him. Sean Penn, for a moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was there anyone else? I think they were the main ones. Not that I remember. But yeah. yeah. But that's enough. Yeah. So lots of fun celebrity cameos. Mm-hmm. I know. Those are my drinking games. Oh, lovely. All right. Should we do some sequels then? Go for it. I think it's you first this week. All right. Well, so I'm not going to give you the title of mine right now. Okay. I'm going to make you try and guess it. Okay. It is being and then the person. Being. Okay. Yeah. Is it a celebrity? You can guess and see. Okay. Okay. So it's a remake, mm-hmm. but British. Interesting. Okay. Being Dylan Moran. So I needed two characters who are going to be very British. So I put a call out on Twitter and Facebook. Okay, sure. To all our fans to uh, come up with some ideas. Sure. So let me read some of them out now. Stacey Rothdorf came out with uh, Cecil Forster Jones and Penelope Carrington Smith. That's Stacey from the Rough Giraffe podcast. Great, thank you. Cool. I'm just making sure everyone gets due credit. She also came out with Samantha Pudding Breath and Alistair Atomatitis. I like Alistair Atomatitis. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Ferretman and Sandra Muffington. Nice. Our previous guest, Paul Kelly, came out with Reginald and Beatrice Hattington Roxbury. I do love a double barrel. Yeah. Yep. Our friend Louise came out with Helen and Peter Cavendish and okay. Sheila and Paul Davidson. Classic, yeah, strong. Ross Burton came out with Mr. and Mrs. Jeremiah Smithington Handbasket, but <laughs> Handbasket is actually pronounced Havisham for no good reason. Oh, he's done a bouquet bucket kind of thing. Yeah. And also uh, British Emic British Face. Great. Solid choice. Mm-hmm. On Twitter, Why Am I Watching This came out with Sir Reginald and Dame Prunella Tambling Goggin. That's nice. I like that a lot. Prunella's a very good British name. It is. Rob Wade came out with uh, Charles and Rosemary Cuthbert Grimble. Cool. I believe he's from Emotionally 14 podcast, I think. Great. You know everything. This is great. Sebastian Kane came out with Sir Anthony Yeoman Richards Knight the Fourth and Gertrude Mayflower Knight. I don't know what podcast he's on, if any. Maybe he's just a fan. Apologise if fan. he has a podcast. Yeah. At, at Sebastian Kane. Cool. Ben Nerdchatting came out with Reginald George Ramsbottom and Fiona Rosamond Ramsbottom. Nice. That's from the Nerds Chatting podcast. 
good work. That's Life came out with Captain William Lloyd Wobblebottom and <laughs> Lady Hilary Grace Wobblebottom. I feel like Bottom is a very... If you're looking I, for like I, a I classic... I put them all together. There's, there's one more. Okay, yeah. <laughs> a theme Park Films podcast came out with Marjorie and Crispin Higginbottom. Okay. Light and Nerdy came with Colin and Mary Dingle Bedlington. <laughs> very good, very good. The BP podcast it came out with Mr. and Mrs. Clarence and Matilda Birdgrigia. Uh, Bird, 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 say that again slowly. Birdgrigia. Birdgrigia? You're just saying... Birdgrigia. Birdgrigia, sure, okay. Great. Young Free and Couple podcast. Oh, this is actually one of my favourites. They only come out with the woman, but it pitches well with the man who comes from another person... So for the woman, they've said Elizabeth Windsor. Elizabeth Windsor, okay, sure. <laughs> and then the man, uh, was James Mason, our friend actually, yeah. came out with Benedict Cumberbatch, which is just the most British name you can imagine. This is very of, true. Of a real name. So Elizabeth Windsor and Benedict Cumberbatch, good good couple. As in Queen Elizabeth, our current <laughs> reigning monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, and Benedict Cumberbatch, who is, I think, maybe 60 years younger than her? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but I thought that might be too confusing to put into my story. So Fair. the winner of this, I've actually picked Paul Kelly's Reginald and Beatrice, Hottington, Roxbury. Nice, nice, very good. Mm. Again, level double barreled. Mm-hmm. All right, to the story. <laughs> so we start off with Reginald doing the lost art of clowning, performing the lost art of clowning mm-hmm. okay. by himself in his basement. Okay, it's a whole act that happens. He finishes, goes upstairs, slumps down on the sofa. Now, when you say he finishes, <laughs> and watches repeats of old British TV shows, okay. his wife Beatrice walks in and says, "Reggie, when are you going to get a job?" We can't afford to live on my salary, but I want to be a clown. Nobody wants clowns right now after the It remake was so popular. <laughs> so until this whole scary clown thing goes away, you need to get a job. Fine, level up today. Great, I'm off to work. Take care of Stephen. Which one's Stephen? The one with the broken wheel. So if you're wondering... I am. <laughs> Beatrice works at a, a shop that sells vacuum cleaners. Vacuum cleaners. Okay. And... She has a collection of broken rumbas. Oh, oh like rumbas. Yeah. Okay. We're the, just the... wandering about the house. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so one of them has a broken wheel. He's got to take care okay. of it. Okay. Are we going to get to casting? Oh, yeah, sure. I was going to leave that to you, actually. Oh, you don't have an idea of mad. So are they about the same age as John Cusack and Cameron Diaz? Are they older? Yeah. The names make me think of pensioners, but that's just because they are very hoity-toity. <laughs> well, I think we should go with what you said before and have Dylan Moran. Dylan Moran? He is the British John Cusack. It's very sad. Well, it hadn't occurred to me before, but he is. Hmm. And maybe, did you have any ideas for the woman? No. Well, maybe if we're going with the theme of the original of having a unrealistically beautiful woman made dowdy, um, <laughs> maybe someone like Daisy Ridley or... Oh yeah, Daisy Ridley. Yeah. Daisy they... Ridley and Dylan Moran. Yeah. That's a weird coupling. It is. Probably weird enough to work. Yeah. I mean, uh, John Cusack and Cameron Diaz is pretty weird. Yeah. To be fair, actually, there's at least a 20 year age gap that must be between Dylan Moran and Daisy Ridley. Whereas, I think... Cameron Diaz and John Cusack are about the same age, mm-hmm. so... How does Dylan Moran look these days? Looks pretty good, doesn't he? I think he, he, he looks the way he looks, like, you know. Great, sure, and Daisy Ridley's sort of a any age person, below 40. I'm, I'm pretty sure she's like 21. I know, but she can play older. Can she? Do you think? How do you think she was in the Murder of the Orient Express? Like, the actor could have been 30. Well, maybe let's oh, Sorry, say, the character could have been let's 30. Let's say Kira Knightley, she's a little bit older. Kira Knightley? Yeah, she's like in her 30s now, I think, so... It's not quite as egregious. Oh. I'm never a big fan of films in the real world where like, the lead actor is 47 and the actress is like 21. Yes, yeah, It's like, always gross. Like, yeah. Will Smith and Margot Robbie, about five years ago, were in a film together as love interest. I was like, mm-hmm. you're now. So, okay, sure. All right, so I'm going to refer to him as Reggie now because mm-hmm. Reginald, bit much. Mm-hmm. 
So Reggie so John Cusack Gibson. is Reggie. Yes. Okay. No, Dylan Moran. Dylan Reggie. Moran, but playing the John Cusack character, is Reggie. Yes. Okay. Reggie gives out his laptop and searches for jobs. Laptop. It's 2017. Okay. Past the newspaper now. So it's, re- it's a remake set in the modern world, is what you're yeah. telling me. Cool. So he's, you know, he's on Monster or CV Library or some some, some other crap website. Okay. I hate looking for jobs. I was thinking of the sequel reflecting your own current <laughs> status. So Reggie goes out his laptop, searches for jobs. After a little montage, he finds a job which says something about having an outward and loving personality, which he thinks he has because he's a clown. Sure. So he applies and gets invited to an interview that afternoon, in fact. Okay, I need to stop you for a second. Sorry, I know this is a long one. I'm making mm-hmm. it longer. So with Castilla Moran mm. as a clown, mm-hmm. is he going to be against type or is he going to be like a hilariously miserable clown? I think hilariously miserable. A hilariously miserable brilliant. clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I like that. I like I like him doing his whole routine, and the kids are just like weeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, no kids want clowns anyway. No, they don't. Because well, yeah, they're all terrified. But I find Dylan Moran in the clown outfit though. But he'd still like stink a booze and be yeah, yeah, really down. But yeah, perfect. Love it. Great. Perfect. Cool. So he goes to the address, finds uh, a tall building and skyscraper of sorts. Goes in, looks at a map of the map by the lift, which shows the floors going up to fifteen with the place he's looking for at. What says so fifteen plus? Fifteen plus. Mm-hmm. So it's not fifteen and a half. It's fifteen plus one. It's fifteen plus. Okay, sure. So he gets in the lift, sees the buttons. They only go up to fifteen. Okay. So he's very confused. Somebody else walks into the lift. Some underappreciated, somewhat famous, and quite relevant actor, Viola Davis. I think she's appreciated enough. She just won, she won an Oscar like this year, last year. Appreciated enough that now she's just an extra. Hmm, that feels like a downward spiral. What if it was just somebody quirky like Dawn French? Someone you could just be like, oh, it's her, it's them. And then they're not, they're not there anymore, but they've just had a little moment. Dawn French. Yeah. Dawn French, solid. She's always a good time. That works. Yeah. Okay. Dawn French, she says, looking for floor 15 plus. He goes, yeah. So she presses 15, and then when Lyft gets there, she says, okay, let me help you climb through the ceiling. <laughs> what? You want to get to floor 15 plus, don't you? Okay, this is weird. So imagine a scene with Dylan Moran climbing up Dawn French to get out of a lift. See, this is already funnier than the original. So. <laughs> <laughs> Climbs up the top and finds his way onto the roof of the building, where he finds the place he's going to. This place, by the way, is the most British job I could think of, working at a supermarket. There's a supermarket on top of a building. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it regularly proportioned or is it really, like, cramped like the... No. So, weirdly, the supermarket is open air. Okay. There's no roof. Mm-hmm. No cover from the elements. There are walls and everything, but there's just no ceiling. And the only way to get into the supermarket is to climb up through the chutes of a lift. Mm-hmm. Is it busy? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not busy. Okay. <laughs> uh, he walks up to the first worker he finds and asks to see the manager. Um, as he has an interview. So the person says, My name Kevin Godoshimi Zangoshishi. Which means, he's in the back, let me show you. Bridget says, like? Oh, you speak Welsh? Where in Wales are you from? They say, I don't understand. Are you speaking Welsh? And I'll just do English now. He goes, yeah. She goes, what? And she says, never mind, I manage this way. And so she points him in the right way and he just goes. I don't approve of you bringing your Welsh speaking agenda onto our podcast. I can't speak Welsh. I know you can't. <laughs> don't know if that's clear. <laughs> Where did that come from? Just... Thought I'd bring it in. Okay, sure. The British version of nonsense. Okay. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> the British version of nonsense is Welsh. Great. Love it. <laughs> so Reggie finds his own way into the back office, knocks on the door, which has a sign that says manager on it. Um, he gets lit into an office. By the way, still just 
four walls and windows and mm-hmm. gone through a door. It's a corner office. There's windows. Sure. Glass windows for no reason because there is no ceiling. It's just open to the elements. Oh, so it's windows, but there's nothing on top of them. So they're mm-hmm. just kind of hanging there. Pretty much. Okay. Interesting. Um, he's welcomed by a very old man, played by a very confused Michael Gambon. Yeah, sure. Britain's own Michael Gambon. Mm-hmm. Who introduces himself as Captain William Lloyd Wobblebottom. Just thought I'd reuse some of these names that I've been given. Sure, yeah. So that was Dap's life. I mean, Michael Gambon's good. Yeah. You know who'd be better? Sir Patrick Stewart. Well, initially I went with Ian McKellen, but... Okay. No, let's do it with Gambon. Yeah, he's, he's more classical, you know. Yeah. I think maybe Patrick Stewart's jumped the shark a little bit. He's done so many... He's, once you played Pooh in the Emoji series, uh, <laughs> in the Emoji movie, there's no going back. Once so. you play Pooh, you don't go back. Yeah, so... He's never getting that Oscar now. Oh, God. <laughs> Continue. So Reggie starts asking about the, the till worker speaking Welsh, and Captain Wobblebottom says, Ah, oh, yes, her English is quite exquisite, isn't it? I, I never got the hang of the language myself. It's, it's a wonder I've managed to lead this business at all. <laughs> Reggie looks stunned again, tries to just move on with the interview, ask him what the job entails. We didn't talk about Floris much, did we? The character who talks nonsense in this film. Oh, yeah. Fun. Let's not. Okay, but fun, char- passed. fun character. Side note, if if you haven't seen the film, Mary Kay plays, plays a really funny minor character in this film who mishears what everybody says. Well, mishears what John Cusack says hilariously all the time and just seems mm-hmm. to be insane. She may come up in my sequel. My name is Craig Schwartz and I have an interview with Dr. Lester. Oh, uh, please have a seat, Mr. Juarez. Schwartz. Pardon? Schwartz. I'm, I'm sorry, I have no idea what you're saying to me right now. My name is Schwartz. My name is Warts. Continue. Uh, Captain Wallbottom says, you're probably wondering about the open roof. Well, there is no roof, sir. Well, it's because of our founder, Sir Sir Reginald Tambling Goggin, had only one love, a pet goose called Dame Prunella, who left him. Great name for a goose. (laughs) He built this building to reach the skies and started a business with plenty of food to tempt her return. This is why we have a supermarket open to the heavens. But how, how how do you keep the food dry when it rains? And how do you how do your customers find you? You're on top of a skyscraper. There's there's no signs. Well, we d- we don't keep the food dry, and they they don't really come. The food's here; it's all spoiled, and there's no customers. I'm not really sure how we're in business, but hey, if it ain't broke. <laughs> so anyway, you can start tomorrow if you want the job. So sorry, what's his job? Are He's the not- man. That's the manager of the supermarket. No, no. What what's Bidilla Moran's job going to be? Oh, great. So what will I be doing? Well, you'll be welcoming people into the store. We like to keep it friendly here at Big Daddy Foods. <gasps> okay. <laughs> <laughs> For listeners that haven't heard this before, um, I have a running theme through some of my episodes where there is this big mastermind company called Big Daddy Corp, who have done a few things in the past. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a business of ambiguous... Um, structure and very meaning. ambiguous. They, they they normally tend to purchase fancy technologies that will do yes cloning or time travel or hmm. in her they made the operating systems that Joaquin yeah. Phoenix felt, falls in love with. Yeah, I just I just like hearing you say it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one. This they shake hands and Reggie leaves. He's very excited but also very confused. Hmm. So to recap, he's applied for a job at a supermarket. On the top of a skyscraper, which has no ceiling because they're hoping one day a goose is going to come back. Yes. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Any more questions? No, no, no. I think I'm I'm straight, yeah. Great. By the way, any more guesses as to who this film is going to be about? 
Not yet. Continue. Keep going. The next day he goes into work with a big smile on his face, says hi to both on the tills again, and she replies, Shamai. <laughs> so he waits by the door for customers to come, but as we covered earlier, nobody comes. Oh, okay. Have you cast the Welsh-speaking nope. lady? Ruth Jones? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Boom. So yeah, there's no customers to welcome. He's bored. Yeah. He's just standing there, just arms folded, nothing to do. So he goes for a wonder. Goes just walking up and down the aisles just to look at just all the food that's been there for what must look like years, mm-hmm. open to the elements, and it's now just all rotting and falling apart. And he's just like, "What is? What? What is this?" Mm-hmm. Gets to the freezer aisle, and that's exciting because all the food there is still absolutely fine. Oh right, yeah, sure. And he sees something weird behind the garlic bread. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? I don't know why that made me laugh so. Much. <laughs> Uh, there seems to be some kind of a tunnel. So he opens the freezer and moves the garlic bread across and just a quick look around the aisles and there's nobody looking. So he just goes crawling into his tunnel just to see what's going on. Obviously nobody's looking out to see if he's at his post or anything because nobody cares. Yeah. So he goes in and this tunnel is you know, quite dark and obviously cold because it's in a freezer. But it gets further and it gets warmer and wetter. But he slips and falls down uh, the rest of the flume mat tunnel and suddenly he can see out of somebody else's vision. Okay. Guesses? Have you put? Have you inserted a lot of clues that I've not picked up on or something? Not at this point. I'm just hoping you'd try. Is it someone Welsh? Is it Tom, is it Tom Jones? No. Is it someone Welsh? No. no you, kind you, of. You, you've done a lot. What, what do you mean, kind of? I'll, I'll move on. Okay. Continue. He sees that this person is on a busy train. So busy that they don't have a seat. They're just listening to a podcast. Oh, it's not you, is it? Oh no! You were supposed to. Go- oh, it was supposed to be much longer before you got it. Oh, you spend a lot of time on trains, and you you are kind of God Welsh. damn. It's when you said Welsh, but sort of, but not. Like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Continue anyway. I can just pretend. I can cut that and pretend I didn't guess it. No, it's fine. So <laughs> it's on a busy train. So busy, I don't have a seat. Okay, I'll do it. They listen to a podcast, which goes on for like five minutes, and then suddenly Reggie's falling and lands in the middle of a roundabout on a busy road. Okay. The British version of next to a highway. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately he goes home to his wife and tells her about it. Like, Beatrice, I was in somebody else's head. This is so weird. What, what was going on? She's like, who was it? I don't know, but I'm going again. Can you pick me up at the roundabout? <laughs> like, sure. I, I, I want to know more about this. So it's next a day, place to pick someone up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so the next day he jumps in again. And this time he finds this guy just sitting in his living room watching disaster movies with his friend. Weird and a bit boring. Mm-hmm. And then back to the roundabout. So he, as soon as he gets to the roundabout, instantly drives back to the supermarket, tries again. Next time, this guy, you see, at this point, you're supposed to be like, oh, who could this be? Who could this be? Who could this be? Who could this be? <laughs> uh, next time uh, he drops in, this person is just blankly looking at random lines of code on his computer. Oh, just could it be? <laughs> shut up <laughs> this is a really good idea no I like it I like that you've, I like that you've gone really meta <sighs> are there like another like 20 minutes of this <laughs> no this is the point okay <laughs> so pretend you're not noticed and do your little ah oh! um, I'm, I'm sorry was that was that was that, you that was me yeah okay. um, wow <laughs> so the next jump uh, the guy's sitting at a glass table with a friend both are microphones and the guy says welcome everyone to beyond the box <gasps> oh my god it's us <laughs> Dickhead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as soon as Reggie lands in the My mind is blown. <laughs> Great, thanks, John. Thanks. This is. 
As soon as Reggie lands at the roundabout, he says to Beatrice, I know who it is. It's that famous podcaster, Harry Chappell. Aww. And she says, wow, I just had a great idea. We could sell tickets to be him for five minutes at a time. We could charge like a thousand pounds a time. People would pay it. So Brilliant. He... <laughs> See, in the original movie, they only charged $200. I'm, I'm worth more than John Malkovich, all you right? You're worth five. I mean, I know we like inflation, but you think you're worth five times more than John Malkovich to be sitting inside the head of someone who, by your own admission, spends most of his days staring at screens? Like, yeah. Okay, sure. Hey, we just hit top 10 on iTunes, all right? We did, so, we did to be fair, yeah. Clearly, delusions of grandeur have hit in very fast, but gone. <sighs> okay, my heart rate is quite high. <laughs> Key montage of people um, queuing up in the Big Daddy supermarket to be Harry Chapel for five minutes each. Wow. Reginald Beatrice making so much money that it's unreal. Everyone wants to be Harry Chapel. So, <laughs> stop grinning at me. I feel, like you're working, I feel like you're not so much telling me a story as like working through some stuff. <laughs> oh, dear. It's been, it's been a tough New Year's. Okay, continue. The story unfolds much the same way as the original film, with a weird love triangle between Reggie, Beatrice, and some other worker at Big Daddy Supermarket, all wanting a bit of that sweet, sweet Harry Chapel action. Okay. So, let's roll back. <laughs> <laughs> Questions? So, Kira Knightley... Yes. ...is jumping into your body... Yes. ...and having sex with... Uh, another character that I forgot to mention. Okay. Let's just call it Ruth Jones. That'd be fun. Sure. Okay. Eventually, Harry clocks on to what's going on. By the way, I'm in a third person now. I've noticed. Uh, <laughs> Very grand. <laughs> <laughs> um, eventually, Harry clocks on to what's going on when he starts losing control of his life. He hears about this HC Inc. company... That allows people to become Harry Chapel for five minutes. He goes to the supermarket and storms in, past the queue of people and demands to be let in. Reggie's there and says, Oh, I'm terribly sorry, sir. Please feel free to try out the service, free of charge. Mm-hmm. So Harry crawls into the tunnel in the freezer, falls into his own vision. He suddenly wakes up at the pub, <laughs> drinking a pint of Harry Ale. Right, okay. It's in the middle of the pub quiz. Oh, okay. And everybody in the whole pub is Harry Chapel, just on a different body. Okay. Harry Chapel in wigs. Harry Chapel going slightly bald with a bushy ginger beard. Harry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Harry Chapel is some of the old men and women that go to the pub. Harry Chapel is the landlady. Harry Chapel is the gothic bar lady reading the quiz. Okay. I'm sure you can imagine that. It will haunt my dreams for a while, I think. Yeah. She's reading the question Harry, 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 Harry. Which immediately follows whispers of Harry, 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 Harry. Throughout the pub, there's folk music in the back room with a singer singing the lyrics Harry, 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 Harry. Oh, God, I'm just realizing how weird this is. This is a monumental work <laughs> of ego. This is, <laughs> this is fascinating. <laughs> and then, thankfully, Harry falls into the roundabout where Reggie's waiting to pick him up. Okay. What the fuck was that? This is an invasion of my privacy. I'll see you in court, you dickhead. Also, I like my bike outside the supermarket. Can I get a lift back, please? <laughs> so when Harry gets back to the supermarket, he marches straight up to the top floor. The the 15 plus floor. Right, sure. Somehow gets through the lift, maybe with the help of some other famous actor. Mm-hmm. He, he asks to speak to the manager, to which he gets a reply in Welsh, to which he responds with, Rudwin Vim and Shara Kamraig, which he actually thinks means I don't speak Welsh, but in truth, he's actual complete gibberish. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. She sighs and points to the back. Harry marches in and slams his fist down on Captain William Lloyd Wobblebottom's desk. (laughs) (laughs) 
How have you managed to make a wormhole into my mind? That's not okay, and I want you to stop it now and explain it, or else I'm going to sue you. Captain Tripsy says, um, if you have any complaints, please take them to the head office on, uh, on floor 15. So Harry marches down one floor mm-hmm. to head office, barges his way past reception to the main conference room, where there's a man sitting by himself at the opposite end of a conference table, looking out the window. He turns around slowly, stroking a cat for dramatic effect. It is the big daddy himself, Denzel Washington. <gasps> okay. He says, hello, Mr. Chapel. I've been expecting you. So Harry plays ball with this whole Bond villain bad guy thing. He stays at the end of the table, slamming his hands down again, saying, what's the deal with this wormhole thing and what do I have to do to make you stop it? Well, the deal, Mr. Chapel, is insurance. I'm insuring to myself and my fellow shareholders a way of living past their natural deaths. So when you hit the age of 44, the highest paying shareholder, or myself, will take your body and replace the consciousness with our own. But why me? Well, it had to be somebody. We just didn't want it to be a nobody, so... We picked someone with, with the most potential to become the most famous and beloved person in the world, and well, here you are. <laughs> okay, continue. Well, wow, I, 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 um, I, I don't know what to say. But, well, it's blown my mind. Uh, I'm going to stop you from doing this. I'm not really okay with this. Well, Mr. Chapel, there's nothing you can do. Um, I believe there's one thing I can do. No, nah, yeah, I'm sorry, you can't commit suicide. We, we, we both know that you're way too vain. <laughs> You'll see. You'll all see. Cut to one week later. It's in John's apartment. Okay. Harry and John are podcasting. We hear Harry saying, So John, why did you choose being John Malkovich? Ah. That's how it finishes. Wow, okay. That, that, that gets very messy at the end. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go where I expected it to go. Um. Good. <laughs> that was, um, that, that took some writing. That's, that's what you get for four weeks off. Yeah, wow. So that was being Harry Chapel. Yeah, that was being Harry Chapel. Okay. Very good, very inventive. <laughs> what an imagination you have. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I could have done with a little bit more of me. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little alarmed that the very first guess you made of this little guessing game was, was it, was, is it being John Lucas? Yeah. I was like, God, don't guess anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, can, you said I'm not a famous person, but, mm. you know, so... It's either a celebrity or... I like how we both went for each other. Yeah, we're, 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 <laughs> clearly we're both massive egomaniacs. Just... I don't know. I liked it. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm not sure how you're going to get that funded, but... Uh... <laughs> Maybe the podcast continues to succeed. Who knows? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need some time off, I think, after this. <laughs> You've had a month. <laughs> hey, that was a tough episode, all right? It really opened up my soul. Oh. <laughs> all right, let's do being... Split or whatever it is you've got. See, we both ruined each other's ideas this week. <laughs> okay, well, pretend you hadn't already figured this out like mm-hmm. an hour ago. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so mine was basically, it's a direct sequel to the original film. Okay. And yeah, it just made me think because you mentioned earlier about... Sorry, I just need to, I need a minute just to get back into the original film after my thing. Sure, yeah. Um... Cool, cool. Okay, okay, go. Okay, you're back in the room, okay. Yeah. So just cast all thoughts of yourself out of your mind for a while. So the original film, as you say, ends with multiple people entering the head of John Malkovich. Yes. Your theory was that when that happens, they become a single consciousness mm-hmm. that is John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. I didn't really pick up on that. I kind of thought, I thought, oh, maybe maybe Lester, the old guy, hasn't done it as a group before. Maybe he's only done it himself. But this time, he's gathered this group of friends. I was like, but what's okay, that going to yeah. mean? What is the, you know what is going to happen when there's suddenly like 20 or so different personalities inside one person's head vying for attention. I've got an idea. I think you do, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so my, my sequel picks up after the original one, and it turns out that Dr. Lester hasn't made the jump with multiple people before, and it turns out to be a huge mistake. So only one of them can control the host at any one time, which causes a lot of tension, uh, not to mention confusion in the outside world, because people start to notice that John Malkovich is behaving even more strangely than he was before. So first of all, Lester... I, is... I see where this is going. <sighs> this has been ruined. <laughs> utterly, utterly ruined. Um, so first of all, <laughs> we get a bunch of new fans that we blow it. <laughs> so many people will listen to this. This might be like their first episode. Like, oh. oh dear. So first Sorry, of all, everyone. Yeah. So first of all, Lester insists that John Malkovich has to go back and seduce Floris, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the crazy secretary from oh, the yeah, first yeah. film. Because it was established that he was in love with her in the last scene of the original film. You see that they are now married, even though she <laughs> continues to seem insane. You just hear what she wants to hear. So, yeah, but it's, it's fairly easy for him to seduce her because she's mental and she doesn't seem to see anything odd about his behaviour at all. Because whatever he says, she just hears something else. But then after a while, the cost of living an A-list celebrity lifestyle and also keeping this insane wife happy turns out to be very expensive. Mm-hmm. So he has to start working again, basically. Now, I'm thinking that... Because at the point where John Cusack's character was kicked out of him, mm-hmm. he changed his career to become like a full-time puppeteer, like a celebrity puppeteer. So I was thinking that maybe he's at this point when Lester and his friends jump in, John Malkovich still has a bunch of really high-profile puppetry gigs mm-hmm. booked in that he has to fulfill. He has to honour these gigs. So I thought it would be really, really funny. Like a crowded auditorium, this really kind of intricate puppet show has been set up. And none of the new people are any good at puppetry. Mm-hmm. So they go on and they just bomb it. Like, they completely bomb it. Like, it's just... Imagine if you or me had to do a really a puppet show. God, that would go so bad. Exactly. It's that. It's that. So I think that'd be really funny. Uh, so I'd lose all my fame. Yeah, exactly. So you'd <laughs> blow it all. Uh, so these gigs go terribly. And so his agent encourages him, maybe it's, maybe it's time to go back into acting again. There's more money anyway. Mm-hmm. And they, as they have no other way to make money, they agree to go into acting. Yeah. They being the personality of John Malkovich. But the thing is, all of the different personalities, they all want to have a go at being a movie star. But their acting abilities are very variable. Mm-hmm. Some are quite good, some are not. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of based on something I noticed from just looking at John Malkovich's career. I did a little bit of research on Wikipedia and IMDb, etc. And I noticed that like, he's a very well-respected actor. He's done a lot of very serious... Well, up until the point he did being John Malkovich... He pretty much exclusively did kind of very arty, serious films. He was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. He did films like Dangerous Liaisons. And I guess he did do Conair. But he did a lot of very serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Since this film, he's still done some very good films. He's also done a lot of questionable films. Yeah. A lot. Like, he's done Transformers. He's done Johnny English. He's done something called Mutant Chronicles, which sounds fascinating. <laughs> he was in Red. He was in Red and Red 2. Yeah. yeah. Didn't he die in Red 1? Or was that somebody else? I didn't see Red 1. Okay. I don't know. Uh, or Red 2. But Red One's great. Red Two, not so good. Oh, okay. Well, surprised. Surprised you've seen them. Mum and Dad. Okay, of course. So anyway, the point is, because he needs money and because they all want to go at being a famous movie star, mm-hmm. he basically says yes to everything that he's offered. Consequently, he gets some really good roles and some real trash. And I think again, it'd be kind of a funny way of like John Malkovich, the real John Malkovich, making fun of himself to see him. They do like a montage of him making all of these very variable films, and in some of them being a terrible actor because. We imagine the, the person who's in control of his body at that point yeah. is a terrible actor. So it's like, I mean, that'd just be really funny. Mm-hmm. So inherent comedy comes from that. As the years go by, the multiple personalities inside John Malkovich, they continue to kind of fracture. When some of them start to take on quite aggressive tendencies and start stealing more than their allotted time in control of the host body. Because mm-hmm. it's probably something like they get an hour a day or a day a month or something. It's like a timeshare yeah. inside John Malkovich's body. Yeah. But some of them start really taking more than their due, basically. 
And this causes a lot of internal conflict. And one of the personalities in particular starts to exhibit quite violent tendencies in the outside world. And he develops a rather disturbing belief system that the Malkovich is destined to be entered by a new spirit called the Beast. A superhuman being who will cleanse humanity. One day. Okay, well now I see where it's going. Yeah, mm, we're pop- <laughs> don't spoil it. So after his behaviour starts to attract a bit of suspicion from the outside world, mm-hmm. Malkovich, now primarily controlled by this more violent character who we're going to call Dennis, goes into hiding in the basement of a local zoo. To be honest, I think that actually if I hadn't guessed it like an, an hour, hour ago, ago, I think this right now when you say zoo might be the point where I guess it. The zoo. I wouldn't have guessed it before this. No, yeah, the, the zoo is a giveaway. But at that point, I, st- I still might not. Yeah, yeah, okay. I well. don't know, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty stupid, for lack of a better word. <laughs> that sounded very self-loving. <laughs> it's not what I meant to say. You're not but stupid. Um, not good at picking up on things. Okay, sure. Uh, oblivious, maybe. <clears throat> Thank you. There you go, that's a nicer way of putting it. Basically, the stronger personality called Dennis starts taking over John Malkovich and being quite violent, and he goes into hiding in the basement of a local zoo where he starts exercising obsessively mm-hmm. and developing superhuman strength and agility. Uh, however, not all of the personalities have gone off the deep end yet, and some, including Lester, the original old man, are still fighting to resist him. Mm-hmm. So Lester manages to gain control of Malkovich for just long enough to start visiting a local psychiatrist, who he tries to enlist to help him to regain control permanently of the body, but he's too afraid of exposure to tell her exactly what's going on, so he just has to kind of drop a few hints kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and as the world starts to wonder, hey, whatever happened to John Malkovich? Dennis and his followers conclude that they must prepare for the arrival of the beast, this superhuman creature that's going to inhabit mm-hmm. the body, by initiating a human sacrifice. So they kidnapped a trio of teenage girls and imprison them in this makeshift layer that they've got underneath the zoo, where they are tormented and terrified by all the personalities. As news of the missing girls kind of spreads around the country, Lester continues to get into contact with the psychiatrist whenever he can gain control of the body. But Dennis and the darker personalities are getting stronger every single day. Eventually, the psychiatrist's suspicions are sufficiently aroused that she follows Malkovich back to his lair, where she discovers the kidnapped girls and attempts to rescue them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she's discovered by Dennis, who allows the beast to finally take over Malkovich's body, killing the psychiatrist and two of the girls. All right. The third girl is more resourceful, though, and she manages to escape. Although by the time she alerts the police, Malkovich has made his escape and gone into hiding somewhere. So the final scene of the film, we see the surviving girl on television, maybe on like the Oprah Winfrey show or something, like some US chat show, yeah. talking about her experience of being kidnapped by an insane man with multiple personalities, and the camera pans back from the TV, and we, it reveals, sat on the sofa watching the TV, M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> who, kind of look, who kind of strokes his chin and goes, hmm, <laughs> and the credits roll. <laughs> Nice. See, I I brought it it. back with a good finish. You want it back, yeah. Thank you, yeah. Mm. Cool. Any questions? No, no, really, though. It's pretty pretty solid. Pretty. I feel like it would have been more impressive if you hadn't guessed it an hour ago, but never mind. I wonder if I would have guessed it at all. I think the zoo bit would have probably been a... You'd hope. Yeah. I mean, you did remember Split. I mean, it was on your mind because you'd already had the same thought process. Yeah. Okay. (sighs) Great. Listener submissions. Yes. Well, before we get to listener submissions, yes. Are you aware of the Get Out theory with this movie? No. Okay. Is this some kind of crossover with Get Out? It is. So there is a theory going around, a fan theory that has been picked up on by Jordan Peele and Charlie Kaufman, who both said that they like it and they don't disagree with it. Mm-hmm. And that theory is that Get Out is an unofficial sequel to Being John Malkovich. Okay. But Get Out doesn't really. Have any 
supernatural bits to it other than hypnotism? Well, do you want me to explain it? Go, yeah. So, okay. So it's all based around the fact that Catherine Keener is in both movies. Mm -hmm. So obviously she's Maxine in this and she plays the scary mom in Get Out. Yeah. So the theory is that Catherine Keener's character Maxine from Being John Malkovich uh, is the same character as Missy from... uh, She's playing the same character in Get Out, basically. Mm -hmm. An older version of the same character. Uh, So Being John Malkovich concludes, obviously, with... Maxine, Catherine Keener, and Cameron Diaz raising a child that is fathered by John Cusack, who, unbeknownst to them, is trapped inside the child's mind. Mm -hmm. So, now that the portal to John Malkovich's mind has been closed, because his 44th birthday's passed, Mm -hmm. Maxine and Lottie, Cameron and Catherine Keener, start (laughs) experimenting with other mind transplant avenues, so going going into other portals. And Cameron Diaz's character enters the body of the dad from Get Out, Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, who's a brain surgeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets married to Catherine Keener. Mm-hmm. And their daughter, Emily, actually, because she's got her own brain and she's also possessed of the spirit of John Cusack, mm-hmm. grows up to become the Alison Williams character. The girlfriend. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they all end up working together on the horrifying mind control experiments that we see in Get Out. Works. It works perfectly, and that basically, works brilliantly. And the idea is that John Cusack, if you, if you remember in the end when he's trapped in her brain, it's basically he's in the sunken place. Yeah, oh, I'm sold. Yeah, so amazing. Um, yep, great. So actually, Jordan Peele, the writer director of Get Out, has said that he's definitely open to casting John Cusack in the upcoming Get Out sequel <laughs> and making it an unofficial trilogy. Oh, man. Which I am here for. <laughs> do they have the rights to do that? Are they the same company? Well, like I said, I think Charlie Coff- I think Charlie Coffin and Spike Jones. Well, they could just cast him and it'd be like an in-joke. Mm. Or I- I'm pretty sure Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones are like, yeah, on board. Like, mm. they seem like cool people. Like, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I oh, really I love it. Them. Yeah. I love it. So we have to acknowledge that because I think mean, that's amazing. Yeah, that really is. Cool. So then we did have some actual listener submissions. Good. Now, this being... Looking forward to this for 2018. Mm-hmm. Getting coming. Obviously, because of the title and the concept, we got a lot of riffs on the title of this mm. film. So we got a lot of being certain celebrities. Of course. I'll just read out some, some of my favourites. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can pick the one you like the best. So we there's, had... There's one that I'm expecting, surely, but carry on. Okay. So being Dame Judy Dench. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Being Mr. T. Nice. Yeah. Being Shia LaBeouf. Oh, that'd be really fun. Yeah, because he's already insane. He's so mental. Yeah, it would explain everything about Shia LaBeouf's current... Uh, oh, a good one. Okay, yeah. Being Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Again, because he's already crazy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I'm now just imagining the, the restaurant scene. Dafoe. Yeah. Dafoe. 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 Yeah. Dafoe. It's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> he, he could have been cast in the original. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I'm imagining if Judy Dench had been cast in the original. <laughs> Dench, 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 Dench. <laughs> Sounds like it's a, a song for like a musical. Or yeah, something. it really does. Yeah. Uh, this might be the one you've been expecting. Being Nicolas Cage? No, actually. No, but yeah. No. Uh, being John Leguizamo. Okay. Who's the guy from Super Mario Brothers? Oh, yeah. I think it's just another John. Mm. I liked it. Here's a good one. Being Tilda Swinton. Ooh, okay. Good. Okay. Being John Cusack. <laughs> oh, that's meta. Very meta. Yeah. Or even more meta, being Joan Cusack. I mean to mention that, actually. What's with those two people having such a similar name? She's his sister. John and Joan, are they twins? No, they're just brother and sister. Unimaginative parents. Well, that's all I'm saying. Well, they're both celebrities. To so. be fair, I, I can't really comment. My grandparents named my mother and her sister both Jacqueline. What? Yep. Your mum and her sister have the same name? Yep. How is that even legal? The weird thing is, my mum's the older one. 
So she was initially named Jacqueline and has now switched her name to Fiona, which was her middle name, just because. So there was no, literally, no distinction between your middle names, but yeah. That's insane. Yep. <laughs> I, I don't think you've ever told me that before. Nope. That is absolutely insane. And their oldest brother is called John, the same as their dad, which is yeah, it's normal, that, but it's, yeah. it's it's unimaginative still. Yeah, no, that, yeah, you know, father's son. So to name their children, they came up with a total of two names to name their four children. Wow. <laughs> what, so there's two Johns and two Jacqueline's? No, as in, because John's the dad's name. Oh, okay, sure. Um, wow. We said there were four of them. So the three Jacqueline's? Never mind, you're misunderstanding. Okay, sorry. Uh, okay, so then there were also some riffs on the title. Uh, so there's Having Been John Malkovich. Okay. Okay. Being John Malkovich 2, the Red 2 Zoolander 2 years. So that's kind of my idea. But Sorry, what? Being the, John the, Malkovich 2, the Red 2 slash Zoolander 2 years. Is, he in, in, is he in Zoolander 2? Yes. Oh, great. Oh, I see. So it's just like, what's John Malkovich doing now? Yeah, so pretty, pretty much my idea, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. I still know what you did when you were John Malkovich. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You'll like this one even more. To John, to Malkovich. Oh, <laughs> oh great. <laughs> Harry just came, listeners. Uh, <laughs> uh, leaving a Yelp review about being John Malkovich. Because <laughs> it would be like a TripAdvisor thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, like, it would. That'd be great. And burn after being John Malkovich. Nice. And then we've got a couple of actual ideas of like proper like, plot ideas. <sighs> So, False Starts podcast, the idea is, it's 2020, the technology around the portal is now widespread, mm-hmm. rival companies are springing up, so, you know, we've got, you can be Beyonce, you can be Bill Murray, you can be whoever you want to be. Some of these companies are legit, and they're endorsed by the celebrities who kind of offer specifically timed slots, mm-hmm. you know, so they've monetized it and taken ownership. Oh, what, so, like, Beyonce will say, right, I'm going to be doing this at this point with Jay-Z or whatever, Yeah, and so you can, you can, you can join in. Yeah, for like a million dollars, you can be me for 15 minutes while I'm duetting with... Justin Timberlake at the Super Bowl or something, you know. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. You'd be on, you'd be on yeah. Podcast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you'd spend your podcast millions. <laughs> uh, but others, others are slightly less ethical, like Gorka-style companies where there's no permission and it's the idea is that, well, they're famous, so they get what they signed up for. And so some celebrities have to actually sue mm-hmm. these companies to kind of get their own bodies back, basically. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just causes a massive fallout of court cases, basically. Wow. It's just one big cameo-filled commentary on social media and internet privacy slash culture. So. It sounds like a Black Mirror episode. It does actually. sound like a Black Mirror episode. But with cameos. Yeah. There's definitely a Black Mirror vibe to this film, I felt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sam Reader said, Beating John Malkovich, in which the angry actor uses all of his resources against Cameron Diaz and Catherine Keener, forcing them to embark on a bloody trail of revenge, also featuring some questionable scenes with Javier Bardem's sports car. So I guess that means Javier Bardem's in this sort of sports car. Sure. But, um, yeah, so I guess the idea is like a revenge, violent. Mm-hmm. Sounds sequel. something like Death Proof or something. Yeah, I think that's the vibe we're yeah. going for, yeah. Uh, Scott Hillman also did a social media version. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this version, the magic door lets you, rather than enter a celebrity's brain, it lets you immediately become the host of a YouTube show. <laughs> it's a different show each week, <laughs> each time, but suddenly everyone accepts the premise of it. Okay. Uh, well, occasionally for variety, it's a podcast. Uh-huh. So I guess that could be like, you know, being beyond the box set. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. Good. And finally, Brian Stratton's idea was the unbeing of John Malkovich. And this is the idea of what happened during the filming of that Jewel Thief film that you can't remember. <laughs> yeah. And why can't you remember it years later? Mm-hmm. So rather than it being a joke that he never made a Jewel Thief film, mm-hmm. I guess this idea is he did, but you just can't remember it. But why? Mm, so I like it. Yeah. I like it. Very good. 
And yeah, so those are our listener submissions this week. Thank you very much, guys. If you have any sequel ideas for being John Malkovich or any films we've done in the past or any films you'd like to hear us do in the future, let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, Google Play, all good podcasting platforms. We're also currently doing quite well on iTunes, so you might even find us on the TV and film charts. You can also get in touch with us on most forms of social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, and Tumblr. Just search Beyond the Box Set, and yeah, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. If you like the show, please hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday morning. And if you really like us, please leave us a review, because it really helps us to find new listeners. And uh, next week, I believe we're having another guest. We are. Yes. Chris yeah. Johnson from the Easy Rider Raging podcast. Oh, right, yeah, you organised this stuff. Is coming yeah. on, yeah. And we are going to be talking about the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I've not watched it yet. No? Well, you've I'm, got uh, to I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You're not, so you are. I am looking forward to it. It's got your favourite actor in it. One of. Leonardo DiCaprio? No. You don't know my favourite actor then? Well, I, I knew he was up there, but... Um, Who is it? No, it's Robert Downey Jr. in this film. And he was number two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. What kind of film is this? I've not seen it. I think it's like is it a like a musical. No. It sounds like I know it's a the musical. name sounds like a musical. I'm pretty sure it's an action film, but I've not seen it. So. It's an action film. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll see you next week. All right, yeah. So join us next week, I guess, for Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, see you all next week, guys. Welcome Bye. to 2018. Yep. Bye. Bye. <laughs>